But we've been talking about grace in the context of our relationships. And we've been making a connection between our relationships and the grace of God that we've experienced in our lives. But we've said that some of the first lessons that we learn about uh, relationships can pretty much be boiled down to two things. These are the things that are kind of the default lesson that the world teaches us. And maybe it's even our nuclear family uh, dynamic taught us this, that number one, good guys should win and bad guys should lose. And number two, everybody should get what's coming to them. So those are kind of two default lessons that we move into life operating from that good guys should win bad guys should lose and everybody should get what's coming to them and i don't know if you've ever operated that way or if this is something you still tend to lean into so consequently you and i come into life come into adulthood uh, with essentially a toolbox full of tools for relationships and we think that really this is a pretty basic toolbox if we can get four of these tools down we can master four tools we can get these down and learn how to use them with precision and skill then basically we can get what we want out of relationships and that's where we tend to go wrong and we even in relationships that are supposed to be characterized by love those loving relationships by default these tools become important to us because after all uh, good guys should win and bad guys should lose and everybody should get what's coming to them right so the four tools that we lean into and that we go to over and over and over again in that old toolbox are convince convict coerce and control and if we can learn we we tend to think if we can just learn how to convince people that we're right if we can learn how to convict people and make them feel guilty, if we can learn how to coerce people uh, through circumstances, and overall, if we can just learn how to control people, then we'll be successful in our relationships. So what happens is we subconsciously move into every relationship trying to convince people, to convict people, to coerce people, and to control people. Because after all, we're convinced good guys should win and bad guys should lose and everybody should get what's coming to them. And then Jesus comes along, and he offers us a better toolbox. He comes along, and he messes up this whole thing, as he normally does. And what Jesus has to say about relationship is so opposite from everything that we naturally lean into. And at the same time, what Jesus had to say about relationships was so much a part of his agenda for this world. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, and and all of us, listen, all of us are going to have to reevaluate As a follower of Jesus, we've all got to reevaluate the way we do relationships. So a few weeks ago, we said that in Jesus' toolbox, we find three very different relationship tools, and they are service, submission, and sacrifice. Service, submission, and sacrifice. And then in light of this, we ask this question, (coughs) what would happen today? What would happen this afternoon with your family or tomorrow morning at work or at school? What would happen? If your whole approach with every person you're in relationship with was how can I serve you? How can I consider your deal more important than my, your interests more important than mine, your concerns more important than mine? Where do I have an opportunity to sacrifice on their behalf for their good? How can I serve? How can I submit? How can I uh, you know, give your thing priority over mine? And where is an opportunity for me to sacrifice on their behalf? What would that look like? Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, that's where I'm going to take you. If you're going to be my followers, that's how you're going to represent me. If you're going to be somebody who bears my name, then that's how I want others to see you. So this morning, we're going to talk about one of these tools that we find in Jesus' toolbox. And it's the tool of submission. And you're like, oh, you really picked that one? 
And the reason we're going to focus on that is because uh, maybe that one tool is m- more misunderstood and misapplied and misappropriated and amiss a whole lot of other things than any of the, either of the others. And yet the tool of submission is one of the most powerful tools relationally. Um, and people who only work from a standpoint of convince, convict, coerce, and control, very oftentimes they never reach in and pull out that tool in Jesus' toolbox, that tool of submission. And yet they would quickly say, well, I'm a nice person. I'm a loving person. But here's what I want us to understand uh, this morning as we look into God's word, that there's a huge difference between doing good and loving things and having an attitude of submission. Big difference. There's a vast difference between isolated actions and nice, loving kinds of actions and an ongoing, relationally driven attitude of submission. There's a huge gap between the two. And this makes all the difference in the world relationally. And and this is what we've been called to as followers of Christ. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, uh, I want you to turn with me. Uh, Anybody want to guess where we're going to go? You're pretty smart people. Ephesians chapter (laughs) 5. I know it's on screen. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to start at verse 21, and we're going to sort of drop this verse on you, and then I'm going to go back and talk about the context. This verse is not one that's preached about a lot. Ephesians 5.22 tends to be talked about more, but we're going to begin with verse 21. Because what I want you to understand this morning is that this verse sets the tone for all the things that follow that that have to do with our marriages and our families. But this verse sets the tone. And actually, it goes back a little bit further than that. Let's start, though, with verse 21 of Ephesians chapter 5. Here's the expectation for those of us who are followers of Jesus. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In the structure of the original language, I don't know if you are a scholar of original languages. I am not, but I like to read what some people who have taken the time to learn those things, what they have to say. This is not an isolated statement. This is part of an ongoing discussion or ongoing teaching. And in fact, if you have the New American Standard Bible, this verse starts with the word and. So it's part of a bigger thought. I'm reading from the New International Version, the NIV, as I know many of you are, and uh, that's what we normally read from here. But it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the expectation is this, that you and I, in our relationships with one another, we are to submit... To one another. What does this mean? Well, to submit simply means to place yourself under someone's authority. To, it means to subject yourself to someone else. And so if this verse is to be taken at face value, <coughs> I'm su- to submit myself to your authority, and you're to submit yourself to my authority. And I wonder how that's going to work. It doesn't seem like that would work because I'm supposed to subject myself to you and you're supposed to subject yourself to me. How does that play out? And we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. But here's what I want us to understand, that there is just this massive difference between isolated deeds of love and an attitude that says, I am placing myself under your authority. I'm subjecting myself to you. Um, Here's what this really means. To submit means that I'm going to consider your deal more important than my deal all the time. Not just on Christmas, not just on your birthday, not just on Mother's Day and Father's Day, not just on any other Hallmark holidays. But the problem, the problem is, see, the reason that we don't want to go there and the reason we're much more comfortable with an isolated, nice, loving activity to keep everyone happy 
is that if we're going to deal from this hand of submission, if we're really going to submit to someone else and place ourselves under their authority and subject ourselves to them, several things have to happen. Here's the first thing we have to do is we have to reprioritize our relationships. Because you see, it's one thing to do something every once in a while. It's another thing to live with an attitude. So we have to reprioritize our relationships this way. So as you read scripture and you begin to realize that if I'm to submit myself to one another, then I have to reprioritize some things. I've got to submit myself to God first. Then I've got to submit myself to my family. He makes that clear and he talks about that in, these, in this passage. I've got to submit myself to the church, to the body of Christ, to other believers. I've got to submit myself to strangers, like the Good Samaritan kind of story. And then according to what Jesus said, I've got to submit myself in some way to my enemies, to those difficult people in my life, to the people who don't want to see me thrive. And any way you cut it and any way you prioritize it, we find ourselves at the end of the list. See, I'd much rather just every once in a while do a loving thing here and there. You know, send a thank you note, uh, be polite, open a door, leave a big tip, publicly affirm someone. I like that a whole lot better than prioritizing my whole life in such a way that everybody comes before me and I'm at the end of the list. But my Heavenly Father and your Heavenly Father says, here's the bottom line, submit to God, yes. But beyond that, submit to one another. And I'll tell you something else that's challenging about this, that if we're going to live out this principle, then we've got to learn to draw our sense of identity and our sense of self-esteem and our sense of self-worth and our personal security from something other than what we know, other than who we know, something other than what we have, because it takes an incredibly, incredibly secure man or woman to submit themselves to that list of people that we're talking about. And if there's any insecurity in us at all, our tendency is going to be to run back over to the old toolbox and take control, convince, coerce, and, and convince, and just put a nice guy image out there, but to stay in control. That's the natural tendency. But the scripture is clear. God's expectation for me and for you and his expectation for all of us as followers of Jesus is to submit to one another. And if that wasn't enough, the Apostle Paul says it, and the Lord Jesus himself modeled it for us. So I want to put three uh, scripture references on the screen for you, that, and, and I'm just going to read them real quick. The first one is this, again, under, and underscoring this fact that Christ requires this and modeled this for us. In John chapter 15, Jesus said this. He said, my command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. So Jesus says, just in case you don't think the Apostle Paul's got it right, just in case he doesn't have enough authority with you somehow. He says, I'm requiring you. Jesus says, I'm requiring this of you. I want you to love one another. And we see by his definition and by his example that he's talking about, about submission. This is the part that kind of gets to me because then he went out, he talked about it, and then he went out and he modeled it. He lived it. This next passage, John chapter 5, verse 30. Again, Jesus speaking. He says, by myself... I can do nothing. And we pause right there, and I'm like, um, this is Jesus talking. So if you've got one of those print Bibles with red letters, it's, these words are in red, the words of Jesus. And it's like, well, what do you mean, Jesus? You, you're Jesus. You can do anything you want. What are you talking about? You, you, you can't, is there something you can't do in your own initiative? He's like, no, by myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. My judgment is just. I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. 
So we could spend the whole morning looking at passages from the Gospels where Jesus said over and over, you know, even though I'm Jesus, even though I'm the Son of God, while I'm here, I take my instructions from my Heavenly Father and taking that God thing and setting that aside, not going to use that to my own benefit. Jesus was a man under authority. He was a man who knew the principle of submission, and he took it further than just his submission to his Heavenly Father. Everything emanated from there, but then he submitted to all of us. Third passage is this in John 10. Again, words of Jesus. He says, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In other words, he not only modeled submission to his Heavenly Father, but as you look at his life, Jesus clearly modeled submission to me and to you. Why? Because submission says, what's your deal? Like, what's your thing? What's important to you? What do you need? What do you really have to have? What's your concern right now? You can count me in. I'm going to provide that for you. I'm going to come alongside you and help provide that for you. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to lay down what's important to me so that you have what's important and needful for you. And that's what Jesus modeled his entire life. The Apostle Paul, he comes along and he says to me and he says to you that you are submit yourselves to one another. Why would he say that? I think this, uh, the system that, that we've devised works pretty good. I mean, we get along. I'm a nice guy most of the time to certain people. And just about when things you know, are starting to get out of sorts, I can, I can come along and do some nice guy things. And you know, my wife will like me. And my kids will like me. And my coworkers will like me. And my friends will like me. And the people at church, they'll be fooled and they'll like me. And we can kind of keep society going in a civilized. So what's the big deal about this? Here's what makes me uh, passionate about this uh, passage. This verse where Paul says, submit to one another, is part of an ongoing sort of discussion, a one-way discussion. It's a, it's a teaching. And the Apostle Paul is really trying to make a bigger point. And the issue uh, of submitting to one another is simply a sub-point of a major point. And, and, and this morning, if, if God would be so gracious as to let this capture us, if it would just find its way deep into us, and we catch on to what this passage is saying, I think it could really change everything. Uh, for husbands and wives, for bosses and employees, for those of us involved in ministry together, uh, for all of us, if we could catch the, what this whole submission thing is about, it's not, a, it's not about, you know, so somebody else can control our lives because, you know, we're so dumb and we're not worth anything. And it's not about that. But if we could catch hold of what this principle is all about, I think it could revolutionize our lives. So let me put this into some greater context, this phrase, submit to one another. Um, here's, where the, here's where the teaching actually begins, all the way back in verse 1 of Ephesians 5. So I'm going to read a couple of verses. This is where the conversation begins, and Apostle Paul starts, starts this teaching on this by saying this. No, verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So here's the beginning of the, of the discussion. He says, here's the standard. I want you to imitate God. He's like, I'm so sure, Paul. What else you got? You know, I want you to imitate God in this way. I want you to simply live out a life of love. And I don't mean, you know, you're going to imitate Jesus in that you're going to do miracles and you're going to create things and all that. What I'm talking about is I want your life to be so characterized by love that in that way, you are like a child of your father. So there's the statement, there's the standard. Then, then we get to the tricky part and, where he contrasts this with something else. He says, verse 3, But among you there must not be any hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed. Just stop there for a second. He goes on and he talks about immorality, impurity, and greed. And he says, if you're going to follow through on becoming people who are genuinely loving people, 
if you're going to make the transition from those old tools of convince, convict, coerce, and control, you're going to make the transition towards serve and submit and sacrifice. He says, and let me tell you what to watch out for. You've got to stay miles away from impurity. You've got to stay miles away from immorality. You've got to stay miles away from greed because immorality and impurity and greed, they, they pull against what Paul's talking about. Relationally, immorality and impurity and greed destroys and keeps you from being a person uh, whose, whose, law, whose life is characterized by love. It's just, it pulls you away from that. Why is that? Because impurity... Immorality and greed are inherently about selfishness. It's about me wanting something from you. It's about me being willing to let you maybe go without or even suffer in order for me to have a need or a desire satisfied. So he says, if your life is going to be (coughs) characterized by a God kind of love, the subtle enemy to love is selfishness. The subtle enemy of love is those things that would cause us to be immoral and impure and greedy. In other words, meet my needs, get my desires you know, met, even at your expense. He says, you've got to look out for those things. And he goes on to say, those kinds of things, like immorality and impurity and greed, those are the kinds of things that keep people out of heaven. And you're like, what, really? And again, look at the context. And beyond that, those are the kinds of things that cause believers to lose their inheritance once they're in heaven. Here's the implication because I just laid some theology out there, and I'm sorry about that, but I've got to back up. If you're going to be a loving person, you don't want to be involved in something that's going to keep a person out of heaven. That's not very loving, right? If you're going to be a loving person, you don't want to be involved with things that keep believers from fulfilling their God-given purpose and mission in the kingdom here and now. If you're going to be a loving person, you don't want to be involved in things that keep believers from having their inheritance and reward once they're in heaven. In other words, if you're going to be a loving person, you've got to stay miles away from things like immorality and impurity and greed. So he goes on to say this. He says, I don't even want you to to mention this. I don't even want you to talk about these things. I don't want you to joke about it. I don't want you to entertain yourself with it. I want you to stay miles away from that. Why? Because it's bad for you? Well, Sure, but mostly because it keeps you from becoming the kind of person that God has called you to be. Because submitting to one another is about selflessness. And immorality and impurity and greed are about selfishness, that self-centeredness. The truth are known, a lot of us are immoral. A lot of us are impure people, greedy people, who have learned how to do loving things just so we can function. Just so we can function in our families and in our marriages and in our workplace and in our church and in society. And your Heavenly Father says, you'll never be the imitator of Christ, that genuinely loving person, until you abandon your immorality and your impurity and your greed and those things that are driven by selfishness. Here's the punchline. The Apostle Paul says, you know, he's like, i got to give these people some help because they're like, okay, okay, we're with you, I think. We think we understand where you're going. He's like, let me give you three things you can do to help you with this transition. Let me give you three things to do to ensure that you'll be an imitator of God uh, and that you'll not drift back into immorality and impurity and greed and those selfish things. So he says, let me give you three things. The first thing I want you to do, he says, I want you in verse 15, he says, I want you to be careful. I'm like, ooh, that's really deep, Paul. Be careful. He says, be careful then how you live. 
not as unwise, but as wise. Then he says, let me give you a second thing. Here's another one, verse 18. Be filled with the Spirit. That's a whole other sermon or perhaps another sermon series. I don't know. The third thing, verse 21, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's just refocus for a second. Here's here's Paul's point. That if you're going to be a person whose life is characterized by love, if you're going to be a person who's really an imitator of God, he says then the safest, smartest, wisest thing you could do to ensure that you actually stay on track is that you submit yourself to the other people all around you. Why? Because you can't submit yourself to the people around you for, the sake of, for their sake, for the sake of their relationship and a restoration with the Heavenly Father. You can't submit to them and be an immoral, impure, greedy person. They don't coexist. In other words, I can't genuinely be in this relationship for your best interest and be an immoral, impure, greedy person. Because immorality and impurity and greed will hurt you, not help you. And he says, instead of focusing on the intangibles of immorality and impurity and greed, focus on submitting yourself to one another. Because submission is God's way of protection. Submission is God's way of protecting His children. So let's face it. If we all went back and thought about some of the worst things that we've done in our lives, some of those things we prefer not to talk about anymore, weren't they at times when we were doing what we knew really, we knew we shouldn't be doing? I mean, aren't your biggest regrets about something that you did or maybe didn't do, maybe in the context of a relationship, that if some authority in your life, someone who had a voice in your life, if they knew about it, they would have called you on it, and you pulled yourself out from under that authority, and it got you into trouble. So the Apostle Paul says you need to take advantage of this principle and the power in this principle. So you need to submit yourself to one another, because in submitting yourself to one another, you protect yourself, and you protect the relationship. When you think about that thing, that situation that you wish you'd, where you wish you'd never gone, Wasn't there somebody in your life at that time that you recognized as an authority that if they had known, it might have been different? I don't know, maybe they did know. Maybe they did know and they kept saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't go, don't don't do that, don't go there, you've got to break up or don't break up or whatever, stay in the job or don't go, don't stay in that job or whatever the thing was and you just kept ignoring that and you just wanted to do your own thing. Because here's the tricky thing. Whenever you and I pull away from authority, it's not simply what, simply what we're pulling away from that gets us, it's what we're pulling toward that gets us. And whenever we pull and tug against authority, we're pulling and tugging toward something that's going to destroy us. So the Apostle Paul comes along and he says, one of the best things you can do to stay away from immorality and impurity and greed, those selfish, uh, that, that selfish core, one of the three things that you need to do, you need to submit yourself to one another. And in doing so, you not only invest in the relationship, you protect yourself. And you ensure that you're a person whose life is characterized by love. So let me put it this way. Think about the dysfunction in your family. Either your immediate family or your distant family. For sure, your in-laws, that's a given. You know, eventually, (laughs) you think about it long and hard enough, eventually you'll find some. Every family's got some. Think about this. What if the people who were involved in those scenarios, what if their attitudes have been this? In my family, I'm going to submit myself to other people in my family. What if those people had submitted themselves to one another? Whatever's best for you, that's what I'm going to do. Whatever's best for the relationship, that's what I'm going to do. Would that not have eliminated some immorality? 
Would that not have eliminated some impurity? Would that not have eliminated some greed that's wedges, that wedges it way, its way in between people in families and destroys families and relationships? Think of it this way. What if I submitted myself to my wife? What if I submitted myself to my children? What if my whole approach to my family was, I'm going to do what's best for my wife. I'm going to do what's best for my children. Their deal's more important than mine. Do you know what would happen? It would protect me from being irresponsible morally. It would protect me from being irresponsible financially. It would protect me from being irresponsible with my time commitments. Do you see that? By submitting myself to them, I protect me. And what your Heavenly Father wants to say to us through His Word is this, that I'm not trying to make your life boring because we're like, all right, now we can't have any fun. I'm not trying to make you into some mindless zombie, you know. What can I do for you? What can I do for you? What can I do for you? (laughs) He's not talking about that. He says submission always results in protection. And when we're submitting ourselves to a God-ordained influence, it's about protection. And in submitting, we become men and women who have potential then of imitating our Heavenly Father by a lifestyle that's characterized by love. So let's get down to the nitty-gritty because he's like, let me give you some examples. Let me explain how this works its way out in most difficult relationships of all those ones. Let's just, let's just start with family. So let's flip a coin. He starts with a wife. This is verse 22. What he's about to give us, he's about to give us an application of how we are to submit to one another because here's the logical question. Let's take my wife and I, Alethea and I, for example. Do I submit to her or does she submit to me? Because if we both mutually submit, no, you go first. No, you go first. No, you. No, 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 really, you go first. You know where it always plays out, right? You know where it is. Where do you want to go eat? Right, yeah. Well, I don't know, wherever you want to go. Oh, wherever you want to go. Oh, wherever you go. And then the other person sits there and stares at the menu like there's nothing there they want to eat. And then it's like, anyway, let me explain how this works out. It helps that when, when my wife just mostly orders off a kid's menu, it's, that works anyway. So let's start with the wives, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. I'm going to tell you, first of all, when you hear a sermon that's preached on that verse as a standalone, you're not getting the context. Context is everything. Let me tell you something. Do you know the word submit is not in the Greek New Testament right here in this verse? It's not in, this, in verse 22. There's no verb there. It actually just says wives to your husbands as to the Lord. And wives are like, excellent, we get to fill in the blank. That's awesome, it changes everything. No, 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 hang on. In the Greek language, if the author is pulling off of a previous verb to kind of keep the theme going, they would leave the verb out, and you'd know just to go up to find the verb previous in the, you know, in the sentence or in the paragraph or whatever, and you'd grab the verb and stick it in there. But the, really, the point I want you to hear is that the point or the phrase that governs this whole passage is not Wives, submit to your husbands. The theme that governs this passage is mutual submission. Submit to one another. So a wife raises her hand. She's like, so uh, how does that work in the home? And Paul says, let me answer that. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he's the Savior. It's like, wait, what? Wait, what? So you're saying my husband's the boss of me? No, I'm not saying that at all. Let me just make that clear. That's not what I'm saying. And I don't think that's what, yeah, I, you be careful now. Um, I don't, I, that's not what I'm saying, and I don't believe it's what Paul's saying. 
as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to your husbands. Shouldn't be a surprise, because he's just said to all of us, submit to one another. So wives, he says, you're to consider your husband's deal more important than your deal. You're to put your husband ahead of yourself in the home. You put his priorities ahead of your own priorities. And in this way, you submit to him. And the husbands are like, that's some good preaching right there. Uh, but, but wait, you said it's mutual submission. What are we supposed to do? I'm glad you asked, because Paul answers this in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. If he'd stopped right there, we could have figured that out. But then he tells us how. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What's it mean? Well, basically, you're supposed to do the same thing that the wife does. You're to focus all of your resources, all your abilities on your wife's needs and her desires. In other words, you are to do exactly what Christ did for the church. Do you know what Christ did for the church? He took all of his power... And he focused it. He took all of his power that he could have used for his own benefit. And he focused it for the best interests of his church. And he gave himself up for her. So in a biblical marriage, it's not about you. You know, guys sitting there, get my slippers, get my paper, get me this, give me that. That's not it. It's about a man and a woman mutually submitting to one another. Here's the catch. The husband is to respond to the wife like Christ did to the church, and the wife is respond to the husband like Christ, the church is supposed to to Christ. Let me ask you a question here. When you think about Christ and the church, who got the better end of that deal? Yeah, didn't we? We didn't have to die for Jesus. <laughs> so guys, if you get all focused on husbands ahead of the wife, just think about this. Jesus is the head of the church and gave himself up. He gave his life for his bride, the church. That's the standard. So Paul says this is about mutual submission, this is, and this is how it works. Wives, you submit to your husbands like the church submits to Christ. Husbands, use all of your potential and gifts and talents and resources to love and give yourself up for your wife. That's love. Wouldn't that be a great marriage? Isn't that what we all kind of really want? And he doesn't stop there. It's just kind of cool. Look at chapter 6. Verse 1 says, children, and I know we don't have many children in the room because they're all in their own environments and the teens are in the queue today, but here's what Paul has to say to kids. So when they, on your way home or over lunch today, you can tell them this is what what the Apostle Paul had for you. (laughs) Let's meditate on this verse for the week. Ephesians chapter, I don't know if you grew up in homes where the Bible is a part of your your family dynamic or Sunday school or whatever, but this is a verse we memorized as kids. (laughs) Children, you're to obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you. You may enjoy a long life on the earth. So how do children, teenagers, students, whatever, how do they submit in the home? It's simple. They are to place themselves under the authority of their parents. Now let me say something. In any authority relationship that is designed by God, Whenever you pull out from underneath the authority, you're doing a very dangerous, self-destructive thing. Because not only are you pulling away from something, you are pulling towards something. So when children pull out from under the authority of their parents, when they respond negatively or they resist the authority that God's established in their lives, they're doing a dangerous thing because authority is about protection. This is God's means of protection in our lives. See, submission 
is about protection. And submission results practically in these kinds of relationships. So this gets really tricky because Paul says, now dads, let me tell you how you're supposed to submit to your children. You're like, wait, what? Never heard this one before. Yeah, it's mutual submission. Remember, that's the whole theme, mutual submission. Verse 4 says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Do you know what this means, dads? It's interesting that he doesn't say a thing about punishing. Because he knew we'd just be good at that. But the instruction is, he says, men, you've got to reprioritize. Got to reprioritize your lives in such a way that you are spending the time necessary to train and instruct. Listen, your job's important. Making money and providing, it's all important. Your recreation, your downtime, your hobby, that's important. All those things are important. But you are submit yourself to your children. That means you do what's best for them, even when it means neglecting what's important to you. That's submission. It's like, yeah, there are like 10 other things I'd like to be doing, but son, daughter, I'm taking all that I have, and I'm submitting it to you, and I'm going to do what's best for you, not just what's important to me. I would recommend you don't actually have that conversation with them, but if that's what has to happen in your head, that's fine. Oh, and Dad, just let me give you a little hint here. It says that we're not to exasperate our children. What does that mean? What does exasperate your children? I believe it's when we discipline and we punish, but we don't train and instruct. You want to exasperate your kids, and it doesn't matter how old they are. You just discipline them. You punish them. You make them pay a price. But don't invest time in training and instructing and explaining and teaching, and you will exasperate your children. And you know why, dads, that we'd rather discipline and punish than train and instruct? Because discipline and punishment, you deal with it and it's over. That's it. You're grounded. See you in a month. Go to your room. You know, you took care of that. You can punish in like 30 seconds. Punishment takes very little time, very little thought or energy, and almost zero creativity. But training and instruction is an investment. It means we've got to give up thinking about and dreaming and doing these things that we want to be doing that we think we're entitled to in order to instruct and train in that way. We've got to submit ourselves to our own children. It's pretty powerful. And maybe you need some help on this. Maybe you didn't have this model for you. Maybe you never uh, entered into parenthood with the tools given to you from previous generations. Because you, you know, you've got a good handle on the punishment thing, because that you know. You know how to humiliate and punish your kids, because you've lived there. But you really need some help in the training and instructing part of it. Well, I would just suggest you need to get connected with some people whose parenting approach is biblical and you can emulate and you can get some people to partner with you. So I really, we should get connected with our friends at FCF Parents and get involved in that group. And that's not a bunch of people that uh, got anything figured out, but it's some people that are just committed to doing things in a biblical fashion. And so spend some time in a circle and in a conversation about these kinds of challenges of parenting. Oh, Paul continues, verse 5. He says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. In verse 9. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them. In other words, what he's saying here is this. And listen, this, is not, this, is, this verse has been misused a lot in our history. This is not an endorsement of slavery. That's not the point of this verse at all. The point, Paul is simply speaking into culture as it was. That's all he's doing here. 
The point is that it doesn't matter what your status is, doesn't matter what your position is, there is always a way for you to submit to the people around you. If you're the boss, you could submit to the people under you. If you're an employee, you could submit to the people over you. If you're the husband, you can submit. If you're the wife, you can submit. If you're the child, you can submit. If you're a parent, you can submit. The goal is finding a way to express to, uh, to you to, that your deal takes precedent over mine. That's mutual submission. Oh, and here's the promise. Listen to this. There's a promise attached to this. Listen. God says, if you'll approach family and relationships this way, let me tell you what I will do. I'll use that commitment, that commitment to submission, to protect you from the very things that have the ability and potential to destroy those relationships, things like immorality and impurity and greed. So imagine a family like this. Imagine friendships like this. Imagine a workplace like this. Imagine a church like this. And and God says, that's the standard. It's not about somebody ruling over somebody else. It's about submitting ourselves to one another. I want to give you three little application tips, and we're going to wrap this up real quickly. Number one, it is never my responsibility to help you learn better how to submit to me. That is not my responsibility. It's never my responsibility to help you learn better how to submit to me. It's none of my business whether or not you submit to me. My business is whether or not I'm submitting to you. You see, the reason the whole submission thing's gotten out of whack is because the guys are over there in the old toolbox going, you know, come on, Ephesians 5.22, come on. We're quoting a verse, but the goal isn't love. Our goal is to convince, convict, coerce, and control. When a man comes to me and says, well, I know you're saying my wife won't submit to me, my answer is that's none of your business. That's her business. That verse was written to wives. It says, it starts with wives. You are, are you a wife? No. Then butt out. This is not written for you. <laughs> when it says husbands, here's one for you. Oh, look, a verse for you guys. This is your verse. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And wives, I've had wives come to me and they're like, I don't know what to do about my husband. He just refuses to take responsibility and be the spiritual leader. I don't, first of all, I don't know what that means or where that comes from. But wives, it's none of your business whether or not your husband leads your home. That's not your business. That's his responsibility between him and God. Your responsibility is to figure out how to submit to him because we're to submit to one another. Your responsibility is your responsibility. My responsibility is my responsibility. And I think, personally, I got enough responsibility in this one verse to keep me occupied for a long time. Then I have to be concerned about what you're doing. Tip number two. You'd never submit to the point of sin. I'm just pausing if you're writing that down. I don't have anything else more to say about that one. Because nothing else needs to be said on that. Never submit to the point of sin. And number three. Beware of friends who will not submit to clear authority. You want to know what your future may be like with somebody that you think might be a good spouse someday? Look at their response to authority. Because for you to have a healthy biblical marriage, that guy or that girl has got to, they're going to have to come to a place where they willingly choose to submit to you and to put your deal ahead of their deal. 
But if they can't get it right with the authority that is clearly their authority in their lives, and the, you know, the law and their parents and their employers, whatever, then the chances of them choosing freely to submit to you are not great at all. <coughs> so you need to think twice about that relationship. I can help them learn how to submit. No. Because healthy marriages and healthy families are environments where people understand the principle of mutual submission. It's one of Jesus' uh, key tools. He put you ahead of him. And in doing so, he changed your life forever and he changed the world. Imagine what would happen in this church. Imagine what would happen in our community. If I put your deal ahead of mine all the time. Not because you're better than me, but because I chose to. Because I chose to serve you. What would it like to be in a family like that? Wouldn't you like to be in a family like that? Wouldn't you like to be in a church like that? Don't you know if we ever embrace this and we ever live this out consistently, here's what Jesus said would happen. He says, they'll see and they'll know that you are Christians. Not because they see you pull out of your driveway most Sunday mornings, not because they see a bumper sticker on your car, not because you send your kids to a Christian school, not because you wear a t-shirt with only a slightly offensive Christian message on it. Jesus said, they'll know you're Christians by a lifestyle and an attitude of love, and we call that submission. So anyway, I don't know what part of this you need to take home. Um, but the point is, you and I have been called to submit to one another. That's what he's called us to. And as we follow him, that's where he's going to take us. Listen to this song. Here I empty myself to all this world, nothing, and find everything in The riches of this world will fade. The treasures of our God remain. Here I am to myself, to all this world, nothing. And find everything in you. I surrender. So
Find everything in you. Not my way.